Well, good morning, everyone. It is always a tremendous blessing and joy to come together in the house of the Lord corporately to worship the Lord our God together, uh, something that we should never take for granted as we know that many around the world do not share the same freedoms that we share here in this country to be able to, to worship freely. Um, for those of you that don't know who I am, uh, my name is Michael Shively. If you are visiting here for the first time or if you are, uh, if I've not yet met you, um, while I am not the teaching pastor here at Redeemer Bible Church, I do have the great joy, honor, and privilege of serving as one of the seven elders here at this church. And since our pastor, since Pastor Vic is not able to be with us today, I have the opportunity to share with you a message from the Word of the Lord this morning. And so to start out our time together today, I figured what I would do is submit for your consideration a question a question that I hope will help us all focus and engage right from the start, and one that I believe will also help point us in the direction that I would like to take us here together this morning. And that question is this, what are the things and or who are the people that you are choosing to believe in these days? Some of you are sitting out there thinking, well, I'm sitting in church, I know exactly how I'm supposed to respond to that question, but don't feel obligated, let me caution you, don't feel obligated to respond, to answer to that question in a certain way if it's not entirely true. Give yourself some honesty in thinking about considering that question and how you would respond. What are the things, who are the people that you are choosing to believe in these days? Each of us are given opportunities to believe in something or someone every day. And we all know that we are constantly being marketed to in our society these days. And marketing that was once restricted to roadside billboards, television ads, and flyers in the mail has become more personalized by search engines and apps and their ability to constantly track us and then tailor marketing to meet our specific needs or interests. Companies, of course, market to us in order to sell to us. And in order to sell to us either a product or a service, companies know that they must first get us to, get us to have faith or belief in what it is they are offering. Now, not that I'm an expert in this field, but ladies, I'm guessing you are not going to go out and buy that new skincare set unless you believe it is going to make you look a certain way, perhaps similar to the lady in the advertisement. And similarly, guys, we are probably not going to go out and buy that new tool or piece of equipment unless we believe it is going to help us become more efficient with our exterior home landscaping chores. And it's not just contained to products and services. We are in that cycle that occurs once every four years in which politicians will be lobbying you over the course of the next year trying to convince you to have faith or belief in what it is they are saying they will do for you and for the country all in an effort to persuade you to vote for them come next November. Having faith or belief in something or someone is powerful and can cause us to act and behave in ways that we perhaps otherwise might not. And yet, even though the word believe, or one derived from it, is mentioned in the Bible approximately 250 times, a Gallup poll released earlier this year confirms Americans' belief in God, angels, heaven, hell, and the devil has dropped to the lowest point in more than two decades. Belief in all five spiritual entities has decreased three to five points since 2016, the last time that Gallup polled Americans on the topic. 
And since the pollster first began collecting survey data some two decades ago, belief in God and heaven has dropped 16 points. So what about you? Where do you stand? Which way are you trending this morning? What do you believe? Who are you choosing to believe in these days? Because without exaggerating too much, the answer to that question really is a matter of life and death. Belief in anything or anyone often takes time. It's a process, and many times progressive steps are required before arriving at a faith or belief in something or someone. And we see this journey towards faith and belief throughout the scriptures and many of the heroes of our faith. And one such example that I'd like to look at together with you today occurs with none other than Mary, Jesus' own mother. So as we prepare to take a look together at an example from Mary, I trust that what we will see this morning is that we can all relate to Mary in some fashion and perhaps even learn some lessons from her journey towards faith and belief that can be directly applied to our own lives here today. So this morning we are going to be taking a break from the sermon series that we have been walking through in the book of Acts, and instead I'm going to direct us to the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38 is where we will reside together this morning. And so for those of you that like to follow along in your Bibles, go ahead and feel free to turn there now. It is Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. And as is customary in our church, and for those who are able, would you also please stand and rise with me as we together honor the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, and if you've looked ahead, yes, you do have this right. It is the story of the birth of Jesus foretold. Starting in verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, to the house of David, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob and of his kingdom. There will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Church, you may be seated. Now, I already know what some of you are thinking. Uh, Michael, the department stores have not even started playing Christmas songs yet. And yet you just read to us a passage that is often discussed referenced and preached on during the Christmas season. Have you forgotten what month we are in? (laughs) Well, allow me to double click on that for a minute. Uh, No, I have not forgotten where we stand in the seasonal calendar. And while yes, the passage that we did just read together is often associated with the Christmas season, allow me to 
offer a few other suggestions to you as to why it should not at all be odd for us to look at this passage here together today. First and foremost, all of Scripture, all of Scripture is relevant and applicable during and throughout all seasons of life. The birth, death, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus should never be far from our hearts and minds because without the birth, death, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus, we have no other reason to gather here on this, the first day of a new week, 52 times throughout the year to worship our God and King. And secondly, while this passage is most certainly a story for telling the birth of Christ, it also reveals to us, as I mentioned previously, Mary's journey towards faith and belief, as we will see here shortly, as she goes through a range of thoughts and emotions upon encountering the angel of the Lord Gabriel. And it is that part of this story that I want to explore further with you here today. So try with me, if you will, and put yourself in Mary's shoes here. I know, easier said than done. Mary was probably very much looking forward to her wedding day, and perhaps even the thought of having children of her own may have crossed her mind. And then lo and behold, her world is turned upside down when an angel of the Lord appeared to her seemingly out of nowhere. Now, some of you here today know what it's like to have your world turned upside down, some in unexpectedly good and pleasant ways, but probably far more in unexpectedly difficult and tragic ways. Well, as we look to unpack the truth of God's word from our passage here this morning, we start with verse 26, where the text proclaims that the angel Gabriel was sent from God. And now I do think it is important to pause here at the beginning of this passage to highlight some characteristic traits this opening verse, along with the subsequent verse, verse 27, can reveal to us about the nature and character of our God. This opening text can serve as a reminder for us, helping us to see that it is oftentimes God who initiates, it is God who sends, and it is God who chooses. For those note takers out there this morning, allow me to repeat that. It is God who initiates, it is God who sends, and it is God who ultimately chooses. So what do I mean by all of that? Well, first, it is God who initiates. In any relationship, whether that be husband, wife, parent, child, teacher, student, employee, employer, someone needs to take the initiative in order to simply engage in conversation, fellowship, and to even have a relationship. And we see in this instance here, God is the one who initiated this, or this encounter and directed the work of the angel to go and speak with Mary. And we can reference a number of examples in both the Old Testament and the New Testament where God took the first step to initiate an encounter with his people or with someone specific, as in this case, oftentimes for the purposes of conveying news about how he God plans to accomplish his work and purposes throughout the world through his people. Secondly, it is God who sends. In our text here this morning, we see that it is God who sent the angel Gabriel, as I said, to address the Virgin Mary. And again, throughout scripture, we can see our God sending people on mission repeatedly. 
Starting in the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, we see God sending Abram, where the text there proclaims that the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. God sent Moses on mission to retrieve the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai for his people Israel. God sent prophets to teach, to instruct, to guide, and to warn his people how they should live, and even to foretell the coming of Christ, just as the angel Gabriel was sent to do here from our passage here this morning. And of course, in the most amazing and beautiful example of God's love, he sent, he sent his one and only son into the world to provide a way to redeem his people. Generations Church before Amazon cornered the market on efficiently sending products to our homes. Our God was and continues to be in the sending business. And finally, it is God who chooses of all of the people throughout Israel, God could only choose one to carry the pregnancy of his one and only son. Mary did not choose this for herself, but God chose Mary. And this too can remind us of an important doctrinal truth. It is always God who chooses us. We do not in and of ourselves choose God. We cannot come to God on our own. Just as God chose Mary to bear his son, it is God through the power of the Holy Spirit that quickens our hearts, helps us see and acknowledge our sin, understand our need for a redeemer and a savior, and ultimately provide us with the ability to say yes to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I understand for some of you that this may be difficult as maybe you have been brought up or taught something different. Some of you here this morning may have questions about man's free will and how that compares in relation to God's sovereign will. And while I do not have the time here this morning to delve any deeper into what could be a rather lengthy theological conversation, I, along with any of the other elders here at Redeemer Bible Church, would be more than happy to further discuss this matter with you should you have any additional questions concerning man's free will, God's sovereign will, or this doctrine of election. But as we see here at the beginning of our passage this morning, an important reminder that it is God who initiates, it is God who sends, and it is God who chooses those to whom shall receive his grace, mercy, and gift of eternal life. Well, as we continue along with our text, who does God choose? Who does he send the angel to? Verse 27 to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And here we see the text informs us of Joseph's heritage, a descendant of David. And now why would this be important? Well, because it is the fulfillment of the prophecy that the Messiah would descend from the house and lineage of King David. And so here we are reminded that Jesus' legal title to the throne of King David was through Joseph all the while, his blood rights to the throne came through his mother, Mary. Verse 28, 
Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Here we see the angel of the Lord advising Mary that she is not just favored, but some translations, such as the NIV, state that she is highly favored. I think we all understand what it means to be favored. That is to be held in the highest regard above others. There, of course, were other distinguished and blessed women throughout the scriptures, and some that come to mind include Sarah, Hannah, Ruth, Queen Esther, Deborah, and Mary Magdalene, to name just a few. But only Mary, only Mary was described as being highly favored by the angel Gabriel. Most certainly, Mary was not the only virgin throughout all of Israel, but she was highly favored and chosen Undoubtedly because of the way she lived, her character, her integrity, her purity, as well as her love for God. Other reasons for God choosing Mary had to do with the fulfillment of prophecy. As, is, as in to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, it was imperative the mother of Jesus was to be a virgin. And prophecies years before Jesus' birth noted that the Messiah would be of little reputation. And Mary, who was from Nazareth, fit that description as to be called a Nazarene or a Galilean in those days was considered by many an insult. The angel of the Lord goes on to say to her, the Lord is with you. Now I can think of almost no other more encouraging words or sentiments shared throughout all of the scriptures. The Lord is with you. How encouraging is that for us? When someone might say something similar, share similar sentiments with you and with us. And yet, even with that encouraging introduction from the angel of the Lord, to hear and to know that you are both highly favored and that the Lord is with you, what was Mary's initial response? Verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Rather than jumping for joy at the sight of the angel, we're told that Mary is greatly troubled. She may have even exhibited some anxiety, doubt, and fear at what had just taken place as she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be, the scriptures say. She was so troubled at this introduction and encounter with the angel that the angel of the Lord was compelled to say to her, do not be afraid. Now, I think all of us can probably empathize with Mary here given the circumstances, right? After all, Mary was likely just going about her business, but the last thing, the last thing on her mind was probably an encounter with an angel of the Lord. It's a wonder she didn't faint right then and there on the spot. Well, does this not also describe some of us when we are first presented with the divine, with the supernatural, with the spiritual reality and recognition that there really is a holy, righteous, and almighty God? Whenever we faced uncertainty in life or a new situation that we've not previously encountered, it's natural to be hesitant and even to possess some doubt and fear. For anyone that has children, we see the nervousness and anxiety on their faces whenever they attempt to ride a bicycle for the first time without training wheels on an asphalt street or a concrete sidewalk. And perhaps some of you are here this morning and you have some doubts as well, even some doubts about this baby that was to be born 
in a manger. Well, throughout history, doubts about Jesus have always existed, and I believe those doubts generally fall into one of two categories. Number one, doubts about who Jesus claimed to be, that is the Son of God, or number two, doubts about what Jesus claimed he came into the world to do, namely to offer salvation to all who would call on the name of the Lord. But first, doubts about who Jesus claimed to be. Just as Mary was greatly troubled initially with, from this encounter with the angel, we see many people troubled by Jesus or doubting him throughout the scriptures. But ironically enough, it is the spiritual leaders of his day, the Pharisees, that arguably, arguably provide the strongest resistance to who Jesus claimed to be. And then we get a glimpse of this in the Gospel of John. In chapter 8 of the Gospel of John, verses 12 through 59, we are witnesses to something akin to a court hearing in which two attorneys present their case back and forth. Jesus' opening statement in this exchange starts with, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees offer a rebuttal, saying, here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. And this back and forth with the Pharisees disputing and doubting who Jesus claimed to be would continue throughout the remainder of John chapter 8 for almost 50 verses. I encourage you to go and take a look at that section of scripture sometime. And secondly, doubts about what Jesus claimed he came to do. While he was living, many doubted Jesus' claims to be the Savior of the world and to come offering forgiveness of sins. And perhaps even more, doubted the resurrection and Jesus' ability to be raised from the dead. And one noteworthy example of someone who refused to believe or doubted the resurrection was, of course, Thomas who we affectionately refer to as Doubting Thomas. Thomas absolutely refused to believe in the resurrection of Christ unless he touched the hands of Jesus himself. And Jesus would eventually reveal himself to Thomas, confirming that he did indeed return from the dead to offer forgiveness of sins, and thus calming Thomas's doubts and fears, just as the angel Gabriel eventually calmed the doubts and fears of Jesus' mother, Mary, from our passage here this morning. You see, doubt is oftentimes a precursor for growth. We do not need to live in doubt and fear. We do not need to remain greatly troubled, as Mary was initially by our circumstances. Our doubts and fears can often lead us to a healthy and genuine curiosity, and we see that progression with Mary in this exchange with the angel Gabriel. Verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And there it is, church, in verse 34. How will this be, Mary asks. After the angel of the Lord described to her what was to come, Mary's initial doubt and fear quickly evolved into a genuine curiosity. 
Now, some of you here may recall the verses immediately preceding this encounter between the angel Gabriel uh, and Mary, uh, where um, the angel Gabriel, where Zechariah, I'm sorry, also displaying a similar doubt and fear, asked the angel Gabriel a question surrounding what would be the birth of his son, John the Baptist. Zechariah, who the scriptures say, was observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly upon hearing from the angel of the Lord Gabriel that his wife Sarah would bear him a son who he was to call John, Zechariah asked the angel Gabriel the following question. He said, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Zechariah had questions for Gabriel just as Mary too had questions for Gabriel. And yet we see God's response handed down by and through the angel Gabriel to the two of them being noticeably different. Whereas God chose to address Mary's questions with a calm explanation, God chooses instead to silence Zechariah until the birth of his son, saying, quote, And now you will be silent and unable to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the appointed time. Now, some of you may ask, well, it would appear as though both Mary and Zechariah displayed similar doubts and fears. So why does God deal with them so differently? And while I cannot be certain, a plausible answer could come from the way in which their questions were framed, submitted, and perhaps even in their body language, which of course we cannot see or know. While Mary's inquisition could have been one of humility and simply seeking clarification, Zachariah's posture, tone, and questioning could have been more rhetorical, dubious, or even scoffing. Whereas Mary was seeking an understanding to the how will this be question, Zachariah's questioning may have come more from an incredulous heart, more of a how can I possibly trust you position, and therefore the difference in the ways the Lord chose to respond to each of them. Regardless, it is God's divine prerogative to silence whom he chooses to silence, to answer whom he chooses to answer. But back to Mary. How will this be since I am a virgin? Mary was doing what we have all been guilty of doing from time to time. She was using human logic in an attempt to understand things that can only be understood when viewed through supernatural lenses prescribed by God. How often have we asked a similar question or exhibited the same curiosity Mary displayed when faced with a seemingly incomprehensible situation or circumstance? As I mentioned previously a few minutes ago, maybe your doubts and fears about Jesus and who he claimed to be and what he came to come into the world to accomplish have like Mary, turn to a genuine curiosity. Maybe now you are here this morning as well, asking the same question Mary did, like how can this be in my life? Well, in response to Mary's curiosity, the angel of the Lord pulls the curtain back to reveal to Mary what is only possible with God. Verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this 
is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Do we truly believe that here this morning? Do you, do I, do we truly believe that nothing will be impossible with God? Well, we see in Mary's response that follows that Mary does believe. Having heard Gabriel explain to her how God would accomplish his purpose and work through her, Mary does not flinch, she does not waver, and she no longer questions, but rather she simply says in verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. After initially being troubled and perhaps a bit anxious, which then turned to a genuine curiosity, Mary came to believe what Gabriel told her. And at that moment, at that moment, Mary's brief journey towards faith and belief is complete. Here, Mary exhibits for all of us what it looks like to have faith and belief. The scriptures say that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. And in that moment, Mary most certainly could not see how things would play out in her future, but by her resounding statement, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She professed hope, faith, and belief in what she now expected to take place in the months and years ahead. Unlike, church, many of the empty promises of the world, throughout the scriptures there is always a blessing or reward for exhibiting a faith and a belief in the things of God. In Romans 4 verse 3, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. And what about the Roman centurion whose servant was so sick that he was probably going to die soon? The centurion asked the Jewish leaders to go to Jesus on his behalf and ask if Jesus would be willing to heal his servant. In Matthew 8, verse 13, when presented with this request, then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his, hurt, and his servant was healed at that moment. Both the, the Gospel of Luke and Matthew use the Greek word thaumadzo, which we translate marveled or amazed to describe Jesus' response to the centurion's faith. The centurion believed and a man was healed and pulled back from the precipice of death. And in perhaps the most quoted scripture passage of all time, John 3.16, we all know it, I believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And continuing with verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. We see here in these examples the blessings and the rewards for faith and belief. And yet also in this last example from John 3.18, a stern warning for those who do not believe. And so from our passage here this morning, in only a few, uh, only a few short verses, we see 
Mary's progression towards faith and belief. Having traveled at first from being greatly troubled, anxious, and a bit fearful, to a position and posture of genuine curiosity and inquisition, ultimately arriving at its final destination. A bold and audacious faith and belief in what the angel came to share with her. So where do you stand this morning on this continuum, on this journey towards faith and belief? Like Mary initially, when the angel of the Lord first appeared to her, are you here today greatly troubled, perhaps even a bit anxious and afraid of what a potential relationship with Mary's son Jesus might look like? I vividly remember my own journey towards faith and belief in Christ where I recall being anxious to the point where I thought, well, maybe I can just negotiate with God. (laughs) I remember wrestling with God and asking if I needed to give up some of my previous or current lifestyle before going all in and having a relationship with Jesus Christ. In hindsight, I realized that was just silliness on my part because, of course, I knew, no, I could not negotiate with God. And yes, of course, I would have to give up some of my previous or current lifestyle before prior to going all in on a relationship with Christ because I knew that there was previous parts of my life that were not pleasing, glorifying, and honoring to him. But that caused me, that caused me some internal turmoil as I debated amongst myself whether I really wanted to give up those things in order to live fully for Jesus Christ. If that is you here today, If you have some anxiety or some internal turmoil as I once did, or as Mary did when first confronted with the angel of the Lord, allow me to encourage you this morning. You are in a good but critical spot. Because if you are wrestling with the question of whether or not you should go all in on following Jesus Christ, the fact that you are even having those internal conversations with yourself might mean that the Lord is already at work in your life as he may be attempting to reveal himself to you and draw you near. Just as Mary presented in her exchange with the angel of the Lord when he first appeared, you are also at a critical inflection point because you can only choose to go one of two ways with your anxiety and fear. You can either choose to run away from God or you can choose to run towards God. And if this describes you here this morning, May I encourage you to run towards Christ and into the loving arms of your heavenly Father and surrender your life to him today. Now, maybe some of you are here today. Like Mary, you have moved beyond doubt and fear, and you are no longer greatly troubled, but just like Mary, you have moved to a posture of genuine curiosity and inquisition. Maybe you are here this morning, and while you are not yet fully all in or bought in on a relationship with Christ, you are here asking questions, seeking to understand, asking questions just like Mary did. How can this be? And if that describes you here this morning, may I also encourage you to continue asking God all of the questions you may have and to press in to the Lord. Elsewhere in the scriptures, we are reminded to seek the Lord while he may be found. So follow through on that advice and exhortation from scripture. Seek, knock, and ask all of the questions you may have of the Lord your God and what it might mean to have a relationship with the almighty triune God. 
There are, of course, many ways to seek, knock, and ask, but it first needs to start with your own study of the scriptures and with prayer. So dig into the scriptures and cry out to God through prayer. James 1.5 states that if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously and it will be given to you. It's also perfectly fine and I would encourage you to consider seeking out a more mature believer and ask to be discipled by them. We, the body of Christ, are meant to encourage one another. And so as iron sharpens iron, seek out those within the body of Christ that can help you process and come to terms with the many questions that you may still have. And finally, do not limit yourself to your own human understanding. But ask the Holy Spirit to give you sight, to help you view things through the lenses of supernatural glasses that allows you to see and to believe that truly nothing is impossible with God. Or finally, perhaps you are here this morning and also like Mary, while unable to fully understand and grasp the mystery of Christ, you have come to believe just as Mary did and can now say with Mary, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. If this describes you here this morning, may I also simply encourage you to continue running the race for which Christ has called you to. Let us not veer to the left nor to the right, and may we not only be hearers of the word, but may we be faithful doers of the word as well. As we've seen from our passage here this morning, in only a few short exchanges with the divine, Mary progresses in her demeanor and posture from one of fear and anxiety to a genuine curiosity in the things she was told, eventually culminating in an audacious faith and belief. So what about you? What about you? Where do you stand on this journey towards faith and belief in God today? Well, since we looked at a passage this morning that is oftentimes associated with the Christmas season, allow me to stick with that theme and conclude our time together this morning with a few lyrics from a familiar Christmas song. One that was written only about 40 years ago, so it's a relatively newer song, but uh, one that I think we are all familiar with. The title of the song is called Mary Did You Know? A few verses from that song. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? That sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Mary, did you know? <clears throat> the answer to those somewhat rhetorical questions posed in the lyrics from a familiar Christmas song is no. 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 Mary did not know what all was to come when the angel of the Lord first appeared to her and said, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. 
And neither does God give us an advanced screening or a preview into the future of our lives either. But instead, he simply invites us to believe. To believe in the one whom he has already sent and revealed to us through his word. And so for all of us here today, it's not a question of whether God has revealed enough of himself for you and I to believe in the baby that was born in a manger many generations ago, but rather what or who are you choosing to put your faith, hope, trust, and belief in today? Just as Mary ultimately had the audacity to believe in the words of the angel that appeared to her about what was to come concerning the birth of her son. May we here this morning have the courage and resolve to believe in the one who came as the light of the world, Emmanuel, God with us. Church, let us pray.